Welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia. And Ellie. This is Ahmad. Uh, I also often work under the, the name The Healing Khan, The Healing Khan. Yeah, and thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Um, can you, well, let's jump right in. What does The Healing Khan, Khan come from and um, how did you come up with that, uh, that name? Yeah, that's a funny story. So um, it comes from my last name. So I'm half Lebanese, half Iraqi. Um, Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm unfortunately not that close to my Iraqi side, very connected to my Lebanese side, but uh, who knows, maybe that changes, that'll change in the future. But uh, so in Iraq, a lot of families have been given new last names because everyone had the, last, the same last name. And so they had to do something about that because the system wasn't working. So a lot of people got their grandfather's, this is how I understood it, the grandfather's first name as their last name. Um, mm. And so, yeah, Sadhan, Sadhan, good question. Uh, there are diff- two versions of that, of what his real name was, because like, I lost in translation, my, my father traveled a bit. Yeah, so basically I got this last name and then for longer I would then, um, my Instagram handle was the sad con, just because that was my last name. And people were like, oh, why? You're always happy, you're always smiling, you're not sad. And then I was like, yeah, but it's just my last name. And then I realized, okay, the con, um, I love that name, but I'm not sad. So what is my life all about? And then realized... And all the things I do, all my work, things and fields and everything I'm committed to is all kind of related to healing. And so, yeah, I'm the healing Karn was born. Okay. okay, so what kind of healing do you do? Yeah, yeah, can you expand on that? Um, my own healing is one thing. And I think, I think we heal the world by healing ourselves. Because we're like, uh, you know, we're like little pieces in that big system. Um, my identity is like an identity that is a mix of different identities. It's like where a lot of worlds and histories come together. My mom is here because of Lebanese, or was here because of Lebanese civil war. And my father was a communist. Um, and the whole Iraqi history and Saddam and everything influenced him too. And then I came here and they, not I came here, they um, then met in West Berlin you know, back then, still West Berlin, East Berlin, the wall. So I feel like there's so much history that comes together. And by healing me, which is healing my identity here in Berlin, dealing with racism in Germany, um, anti-Muslim racism, but also the whole anti-Muslim racism that is still not completely gone in Lebanon. Um, You know, all these things that come together by dealing with them myself, understanding them, um and overcoming these things i heal a bit of history you know and community that's beautiful um did you always live in germany yeah so berlin always has been my base so always uh, there's always places where i like last year i was living in colombia and uh, mostly in latin america for a little over a year um also with the intention to learn get perspective in um, I do consider myself an activist just because my, my identity is, uh, is political already, you know, uh, even if I don't want to, people kept, uh, refer, refer to me, referring to me as like, um, the activist, na, na, na. and then I was like, wait, but I'm just talking about my life, right? So why am I an activist? But later on meeting other activists in Latin America, um, I realized 
just healing and just talking about my life and in, in many ways sometimes that's also dangerous because people i mean especially as a queer muslim or queer arab um talking about these things publicly i do get monthly death threats so it is uh very much political and so this is also healing you know the the whole activism thing the whole talking and trying to um make invisible uh identities visible by representing um I think that's also healing. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. When the world has, the world has made your identities political. So it, you know, and so you're responding by um, claiming those identities mm -hmm. and being open about it. And I, I know that has to be healing for so many who don't have the chance to do that or just don't see themselves in others as often. Um, well, so, also so public spaces. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like for the longest time, like the only template I had for my life was like, you know, much older transgender women who were who were not children immigrants. They were just you know standard wasps, and they were just. It's like I had something in common with them, but not a lot. So being able to see anyone like myself was like a huge you know, breath of relief. And I was like, oh, hey, people like me do exist. Right, right. And this is also... Yeah. So just to also mention that, and we can come back to that later, is like I also do... Um, like I give workshops around discrimination with different organizations here and also uh, coach. I do life coaching with a, with a focus on um, inner child work and inner spiritual alignment. But um, that's also the healing thing but coming back to the seeing people like you right and then seeing having someone that in a way could be like even if just in some part of life can be a role model to you is so freeing and liberating knowing that oh okay somebody like me has existed before right i'm not uh creating the mold um from scratch basically which is a lot of a huge responsibility while you're trying to be enough right um and this is also why i keep like you know and if you check my insta bio it says queer muslim world citizen and the people have asked me why i really like why i keep this there even though it like a lot of people get triggered by it and people keep discussing my you know being queer and and religious and i personally don't need that label like my spirituality is something uh very personal and something that i i do learn from other fields and take them in but i realized okay islam was my foundation it was my first it was the gateway for me to spirituality. And I know that this, these identities, they can coexist. And I keep them as label, even though I don't need it. You know, often we have labels because they empower us. This label is really heavy. But I keep this label publicly because it frees other people. My fights, just carrying that label, um, help other people being allowed to have labels you know or like you know in their minds at least knowing that somebody else is having them publicly i can have them privately it's interesting you say that because th this was many episodes ago we had someone on who likes to in most contexts use they them pronouns mm -hmm. um and they were like yeah i don't you know i don't, I don't like the labels the gendered um, pronouns as labels but they said that they realized the profound impact sometimes they have in their life, like in their engineering field, mm -hmm. they claim she, her, because they're like, there's so much underrepresentation of um, women in the engineering space. And 
I, I really liked that way of kind of approaching it, uh, the way they've kind of figured out how to approach um, labels being so powerful for them in particular contexts, and then maybe personally not having as much meaning, but more like externally, okay, this is going to impact the yeah. people around me and like make a statement. And um, so you, you say that is kind of a, another, it's bringing me back to that conversation. Um, yeah. I think until now I wasn't really aware of that and making me aware that I use different labels in different contexts, depending on, um, first, do I have the energy for that? Like sometimes I use the safe label because I just am exhausted and I don't have to have the fights all the time. Um, but sometimes like in, in gay communities, for example, if people just think everyone like, you know, it's this gay man, like everyone, queer community means everyone is gay, right? And then sometimes I like, you know, reaffirm like, oh, I identify as queer, by the way. I mean, uh, the whole thing behind that is my thing to explore. But um, please be aware that there are also other identities, right? Um, <clears throat> the other thing is also, and I would love to talk about that and tell you more about that because I just came back from the US from a huge, really, really cool project. I find it very cool. Other people find it complicated to understand and weird. But um, I was part of this camp, or it's more of a, more than a camp. It's like a collective of Aswana, um, or Mina, or Middle Eastern, North Africa, whatever you believe, whatever you want to use here. Um, change makers, artists, and activists that basically all support each other and envision new futures for uh, the Swana region. And it's called Cosmic Camels, and they have a camp at Burning Man Festival, um, which I don't call. No, sorry, it's not a festival. <laughs> it's more than that. It's it's really this alternative universe, and it has been criticized for being too white and free for being too privileged. And also, we came in there to change that a little bit, um, and to bring these conversations into these spaces. And so, the biggest group of ours were Palestinians. There were also Israelis in the camp. Like it's also this whole like envisioning new futures and speaking harsh truths and talking about things that are usually uncomfortable to talk to and like pointing on blind spots for some people but there was always there were also all kinds of um, people from diaspora arab diaspora i was also in a way representing so and i know like traveling latin america you bump into a lot of israelis and as a you know an arab person or a lebanese person you always have the elephant in the room and so when israelis ask me and we have nice interactions or difficult interactions, whatever. But when they ask me where I'm from, I don't say that, say Berlin. I don't say Europe. I don't say Iraq. I usually, the first thing, mention Lebanon. Because it's it's usually the toughest, um, if not Palestinian. I'm not Palestinian. But like, you know, this is then the identity that, that I present of my identities. Um, because I know this is where it hurts. And this is where something has to be either overcome or not or whatever, but I want to point my finger on it and see, see like, okay, we have something either to talk about or to overcome or to not talk about and love each other anyway, but this is the uncomfortable part. This is the identity that I want to bring into this room. That's, that's pretty bold. Like some, like I know, especially talking to Israelis, um, on the rare occasions that you run into them, it's like, do I want to drop this bomb? Do I want to get political already? Because I'm a coward, I'm just like, sometimes like, no, I don't want that. I'm just here for whatever. But, you know, confrontation 
does lead to growth. So don't don't say going... don't say you're coward. Um, you so part of my coaching I always focus on the inner child, right? And so we always mm-hmm. we always have this child with us. Basically, the idea is that this child that we once were is still exists somewhere in in us. If that child isn't ready to do that in that space, then you just don't, right? And then this is not being a coward, and this is you know taking care of oneself and taking care of one's comfort and 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 yeah, comfort zone or like discomfort zone also. And so um, I al- I don't always do it, um, and I now do it a lot because I had many many positive experiences also it's like i got to i have now have a lot of i have palestinian extended family and i have palestinian friends and i have israeli friends and a lot of that's the thing depending on where you grow up you are either conditioned you know things you don't know things and people sometimes think they know things but then they don't know anything and so there is a the story of a friend of mine now friend that aya uh, Israeli, I met her in the Caribbean coast of Colombia, and I keep telling the story everywhere. But like, um, we were a part of this one group of people, the travelers, and constantly uh, sitting at, at some bars and some places, restaurants outside. And um, whenever she had a few drinks, she would say, Oh, Ahmed doesn't actually like me, he hates me because I'm a Jew. And it's also complicated because I also grew up in Germany. So, uh, it's doubled complicated because once somebody mm-hmm. told me I'm an Israeli worst nightmare because I'm Lebanese and German. And this is difficult because people then they just assume I have a problem with them because of that background. And this again, I don't try to see governments. I don't try to see whatever label that is. I try to see that individual, their inner child and try to understand what conditioning made them the way they are and what do they know, what do they not know. And so this person constantly projected this hate coming from me onto my body, right? And then I would tell her, I might have a problem with what your government does. I might have a problem with certain things, but you personally, I don't know you to hate you, right? And then we kind of grew, she kind of grew on me and then we started, you know, hanging out together. And I changed a lot of her views also because where where would she get any point of contact, right? And then when I showed her a video of a friend of mine who's a dancer here in, 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 in Berlin, who's Palestinian, and then she was like, I don't get that term. What is Palestinian? Is she from Gaza? Why, why, why is, you know, and then, and that's the thing, like, I can't judge her because it's not her fault. We, you know, try to understand where that knowledge comes from. And then, she now has an, uh, or had an intention or like, sorry, an um, motivation, an incentive to learn these things. Because, okay, something can be right. I know this Ahmed, he doesn't hate me. He's nice. Oh, wait, maybe he's an alternative. Maybe he's different than other people. Maybe not, right? And so Cosmic Camels was a, is a collective full of people like me trying to, and this is it's being criticized, of course. A lot of people scream, oh, you're normalizing relations and whatever. But we are individuals who are trying to overcome together collectively, who are trying to envision new futures. And um, there are so many people, um, Iraqis, uh, Saudis, Lebanese, uh, many Palestinians, and also people. Um, also, there's one person who is like a sister to me now, Tal, she is an Arab Jew. Israeli citizen has Yemeni and Iraqi roots and for her or like you know also Syrian and Lebanese Jews um, that I met in New York also as a big community 
um, to, to get their perspectives and to heal different parts of our identities for them being allowed or like reconnecting with the Arab, who, but still being Jewish and, and, you know, their pain as a Jew that was, I mean, because after 48, a lot of Jews, um, and I learned that from my friend Hadar Cohen, who's also an Arab, Arab Jew, a lot of Jews were heavily mistreated and pressured and blamed for what was happening um, in other Arab countries. And so they, you know, had to choose, are you an Arab or are you a Jew? And I feel like this separation is still very much, um, yeah, still exists. And maybe maybe you can find the queer Arab Jew also to come to have it as a guest in your uh, podcast. But you, yeah. you see what I mean? It was just so much coming together. Also, I learned in, 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 in April that there was an, a Jewish community in Beirut, which I, I never knew existed. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, um, I forget when it was. Sometime last year, I think, um, we had someone on who is, she's Iraqi mm -hmm. and Jewish. Mm -hmm. And growing up in New York, she was always told, you're either Arab or you're Jewish. Mm -hmm. Like, the, the other is going to be the Arab. And mm -hmm. then just, it's only pretty recently she's started exploring her Iraqi roots because she always was kind of taught like they're separate identities. So you said it's called Cosmic Camels? Exactly. Camels? Cosmic okay. Camels. And it's my family now. <laughs> and I'm one of the people, yeah. one of the trying to be a change maker that's part of that collective. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not Jewish. I'm just, um, I do here and there do things um, in in these fields, right? Like trying to connect, uh, reconnect, build bridges, but in all fields, bridges. And I often feel like I'm, I'm constantly attacked from all sides. Like in Germany, try to be like, be there for the POCs and be like, oh, this is racism. Um, but at the same time, you, you turn around and then they're like queerphobic, homophobic. Um, and, you know, the whole, I I'm, I'm started uh, doing queer um, healing circles. One is uh, like every other week, one is queer Muslim healing circle because that space is really needed and just doesn't exist. But I was like very anxious to do that and in a good way, in a negative way, because I was like, oh, it might be dangerous also. Mm, and the queer BIPOC one and trying to find spaces for that. It was either uh, queer hmm, or uh, but why why Muslim? Why can't you do them queer and religious? Because maybe because the other spaces already kind of exist and I'm trying to f create a space for people with that unique experience. Like, you know, trying to maneuver these things and like basically always being the one holding um, these um, uncomfortable reactions that then I could take personally because I have this identity. But I kind of like learned that none of this None of these dynamics really have to do with me or these people. It's like society, it's conditioning, it's history. These are like huge knots and, and networks of knots that we're all trying to undo. And it hurts sometimes. Yeah? What do you think? Yeah, um, well, it's interesting you say that because even when, I mean, I've especially seen this like since we started this podcast, mm -hmm. um, just kind of becoming more aware of the spaces that are out there. Sometimes I've noticed that there's another 
even an additional layer of ego. Like if, if one person or group takes the niche of like, this is we're a queer Muslim space and, uh, or another, mm. like maybe we are a queer Swana space. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that there's an ego issue as well. And it, 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 there's this kind of feeling of, oh, I already started this. So I'm the only one who mm-hmm. should be running this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, there's kind of this like gatekeeping mm-hmm. on top of it. And it's, 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 inter- it's kind of interesting to see because it's like, no matter, in my opinion, no matter where you are, these spaces are so crucial and the, the, the more there are, the more accessible this is going to be for people around the world. And, um, and so like, I, yeah, at first it's like, I have a hard time pinpointing these intersections alone, but then once I do, there's also this like ego going on. Um, and, it, and that's another layer to navigate of, like, okay, we need to just let all, which, I mean, I don't, I've never heard of um, the event that you went to, but I really like the idea of it being like, we all have the power to be change makers. Like, I think that's so important. Yeah. Um, because I, yeah, I still feel like there's a hierarchy going on, even within like, POC and queer spaces. Um, so yeah, I, I just kind of wanted to throw that additional thought in there of like, I really like, um, your approach. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I, th- I definitely yeah. see the yeah. ego. And um, yeah. we all have to be honest, of course, I see the ego thing coming up in me also, whenever I get to have an accomplishment for the community, where I feel like I did create a space or whatever, but this is this is totally okay. We all have moments like these that come from like a scarcity or survival mindset. It's just we have to be aware of these, right? And then be like, okay, why did I think this way? We're like, where's this coming from? And in a way, it's at the end of the day rooted in fear and then the, the feeling and this capitalism teaches us that too like resources are scarce and if, if somebody else gets a job they're taking this job away from you if you're not good enough if you're not if you don't produce enough then uh, you're not yeah you 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 will be behind everyone and you will not be up to speed with you know and not get to you to fulfill your dreams and stuff so and then and then you have communities yeah, full of people that want change, but also full of people who, who've who been deeply hurt when it comes to their self-esteem and self-value. If, you know, the from a young age, everyone telling you, like, or actively or passively telling you, you're wrong, you're broken, and you're not enough. And then at some point, you make it and you start shining to some extent. You will, you know, you will fight everyone who tries to go to get onto the platform that you're on. Because you... You have that mindset that this is scarce and I almost died and now I survived and now I'm not not only survived, I made it onto some sort of platform, right? And this is the problem. That's a good point, yeah. This is where people heal to an extent, but not far enough. And this is where people, you know, then sadly their healing becomes uh, the gatekeeping factor for the community. They've healed enough to shine, but they won't heal further. They, now I'm safe. Why should I heal further? Community healing? Yeah. No, this might tear me down. I can't pull myself up. I can't pull a community up. Okay, no. Sorry. Bye. Bye, guys. 
Right. You know, it especially becomes a problem because a lot of these community spaces, you know, once you have the first mover who makes the space, it becomes hard to start a second space just because the space is occupied or the resources are occupied. So, you know, you can have a queer Muslim community space run by a complete jerk and you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to start my own space for it and do it better. But then you've got, then you just basically create a split in the community of people who are comfortable with that, except for maybe mm-hmm. the jerk thing, but they let it go because history or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we're I've... already a pretty small community. So and I can... yeah, it's also... yeah, and I think this is like another reason, like Ahmed, you, you talked about like having to have very uncomfortable conversations while you were in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just an example of why uncomfortable conversations continue to be needed, mm-hmm. regardless of the progress that's been made. It's like, there's always going to be one more, one more step and we have to get out of our comfort zones, which I, it's hard. Yeah. But we also have to, I, I struggle with that a lot. Totally. But we, to be, to get out of our comfort zone, we have to give ourselves permission to be in our comfort zones and recharging them. Like consciously be like, yeah, I'm recharging now to when this com- uncomfortable um, conversation is going to come around. I have the capacities. I have the space to have the conversation. And I think this is also when we think of pain and when we think of all these struggles, when we imagine it as a big, dense network of energy, of, of, of pain in, in the end, um, also kind of spread over history. Then the best things to heal that is the best things we can do the best thing we can do is create space in our mind, in our heart, in our community, creating a space, capacities, space, capacity is basically the same thing, where energy can just dissipate, where people can talk about their pain and overcome it. When, you know, when we create space in our body or in our mind, in our hearts, we do that. So whatever is in there, whatever heavy, uh, you know, baggage we are carrying around, can be unpacked and processed, right? And I think this is where I'm always, I always focus on, okay, what makes a space safe? How can we create more spaces? How can I be a space? Or how can I create more space for myself, for these feelings? And how, how can I create enough capacity to be a space for others? Looking at my parents, for example, um, I had a really tough upbringing, to be honest, and I partially raised myself in a way. Um, but looking at them, they were never able to hold my, uh, even before the whole queer thing, even before that was on the table, they were never, and I think it's the thing for a lot of Arab parents, especially also in diaspora, and they had, there's a reason why they're in diaspora. Um, they never had the space, the capacity to hold my experiences in addition to theirs. It was always about them. And then I was, I was there and maybe they wanted me to hold something for them but not the other way around. And I never understood that as a kid until I realized, and I looked at my mom one, one day and realized, as much as it hurts me to see, she just can't hold my feelings and my life in addition to hers. Her capacity is just full. I would love for her to hold that feeling. I would love to come in and tell her about my day and tell her my challenges with German society and tell her the racism I experience on a daily basis. She will not get it because she cannot hold it for me, right? And um, yeah, and so creating spaces and healing further. But I think when it comes to these, um, 
to, you know, one space is created and then often that's the last space and the second one isn't created. I think also when we think of this identity of a queer Arab, um, of queer Arabs in generally, in general, sorry, my brain, um, we, we have to see that this, these are often people coming from a lot of community. They're used to community, but they have been hurt by community. So the moving and really, really heartbreaking in a good way, heartbreaking thing for me was now last week I was with the Cosmic Camels. I was with all these people that kind of reminded me of my family and they have, they become, they've become family to me. I love these people, but they all are kind of spread all over the US, most of them. And here I am living in Berlin. So I was sitting there and I cried it out. I told everyone also, you guys, I did not realize how heavy this is. This has been for me until now trying to say goodbye because they all reminded me of my family but this was a community that looked like my family that accepted me that cherished me that cheered for me that applauded me and that had my back when i fell and that knew that i would give back to them right this was a community and i had a space there and this was so beautiful but also so hurtful to me and then still i had to say goodbye not because this time i, I don't fit in here or they don't want me, they don't love me enough to hold this discomfort. This is what I, my younger me thought about my, my actual family, right? Um, but still, I had to go. And, and I realized that at the beginning, subconsciously, I was blocking a lot of connections when we all came together from all over the world at the camp because I was afraid of this community. They reminded me of family and I did not want that rejection again. And I think this is also in different cities when, you know, we look at queer communities and all queer uh, BIPOC communities, they often come from a culture that has a strong sense of community, but they have been hurt and been rejected by community. So how do you not only heal the individual, but also make these individuals aware that they have a pain, a wound related to community that they also have to heal if they want to be giving back to community? I mean, it's the whole, you know, you have to acknowledge the problem to start working on it. And mm-hmm. yeah, some people just can't acknowledge problems. I mean, I mean, um, you, when you yeah. think you think you're okay, do you really want to look at another even deeper wound? My father is Saudi mm-hmm. and I grew up in the U.S. Um, and I never understood until I had it how important it was for me to find a place where like you said, there was a group of people who looked like my family, but were queer or like accepted me as a queer person. And this group was run by a queer Saudi. And I had never met another queer Saudi in my life. Um, and like I said, this was just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just spent like the first night I just broke down. I was bawling because I, I realized like, I didn't know what I was missing and it felt like I was finally coming home to a new, a space that I didn't know was a needed home. Um, and yeah, it, it is really hard. Like at the end when you, when you have to leave, um, cause the event was just a few days. Um, and yeah, it, it, like that pain of like, Oh my God, I have this thing I didn't know. No, you can go now. I know. And like, (laughs) yeah, and then like, okay, I have to say bye already. Um, Mm -hmm. 
that's hard. Yeah. It's and then like, yeah. And then you have to kind of try to replicate that online mm -hmm. with the same people. And that just has to take a different form. Of course. It's not yeah. the same thing. It's, and this is yeah. why, you know, I continuously try to build community and um, keep community. And uh, I, I will definitely see these people again. I'm very happy about that. But I had a similar experience actually a few years back when I went to my first Arab party, a queer Arab party here, um, that I never, never went to any, I usually, you know, either queer or Arab or whatever. And then, and I, I was okay with these individual parts of me and identities, but never got them, got to see them, you know, overlap. And so I went to this party and then, First in I come in and then they play Najwa Karam and, and whatever 90s Lebanese music. And then it moved me to the core because this is like, you know, key childhood memories in that space. For a second, I felt very honestly guilty and ashamed because, you know, the whole being queer shame came up again. It's like, oh, my God, I'm playing Najwa Karam at a queer place. Right. And then realized, no, no, no. And then this is where you have to deconstruct society and thoughts again, like. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just existing. And this is not you. The shame comes from somewhere else. But then I started dancing and I realized I was looking around and this is where I like almost fell onto my knees and started crying. I did not, it was like, it did not fall, but I was holding myself, you know, because people were moving intuitively dancing like I dance. <laughs> just a little hip here in my arms, like the, 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 the swinging arms, right? And then I was like, oh my God, wait, this is kind of like a genetic thing. This is like epigenetic. Intuitively, I move like this and people move like me. What? And uh, just seeing them move the way I move just made me made me cry, right? Actually, actually, uh, yeah, wrote a poem wow. recently, but it was in German, unfortunately. Otherwise, I would have uh, read it to you. It was published in a, in a, in a like anthology with uh, three queer, 30 queer voices. And it also talks about that. It talks about, um, so a part that I can translate is how weird this cat that tries to walk like a pigeon and swim like a fish, but society applauds how cultured he is. And then basically the, you know, trying to adapt to the oh different labels um, oh. and, you know, being a little bit of that, a little bit of this and understanding all of these things, but like, you know, not being able to be just a cat or whatever. And then he kind you know, feeling incomplete and all that at the, at the same time, but society's applying like, oh, how cultured you are, right? Right. Um, but it's also... But it's like you as a cat, you're not enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but also not seeing his struggle, not seeing that this being cultured comes from the struggle of these split identities and trying to hold them. Um, but also of like walking, right? Um, this is where like the moving, when people moved like me, that moved me to the core because it, it was a feedback that I move normal, that I move natural. Because when I move or like now it's, it's almost like, it's not, I don't have this huge pain anymore, but like growing up, I had this pain of, okay, I'm not allowed to move too feminine. You know, I have to hide. If I move too feminine, I'm in danger. But as an Arab man, if I move too masculine, I am the danger in racist Germany. So how do I move? Okay, depending on who's next to me or in front of me, I change the way I walk. Um, you know, sometimes a little more feminine, sometimes a little more masculine, sometimes very neutral like a robot and smiling so the old lady thing knows I am friendly 
and I am educated. You know, when the whole refugee crisis, I hate that term, but this is how they call it. Like, you know, when 2015, all these people came in, um, <clears throat> the racism increased and people started looking at me. Like, you know, I also live in Berlin. You know, I know Berlin um, better than most people here. So they started staring at me, especially old white people. And then my first reaction intuitively, which is a very sad reaction, was reading in front of them, German to show them I speak the language, right? Um, so these are things that you do passively and subconsciously and like not, not, uh, not really aware of, but it made me realize that I for long forgot how, how I you know, kept over obsessing over how I walk and forgot how, how I walk naturally. And then I then started thinking about, okay, can I regain my natural way of walking? How, how would it look like, you know? And then that even my the way I walk is not natural anymore. The way I walk is connected to so much pain and overthinking. They kind of robbed me of my natural movement. That was really painful when I realized that. But also freeing, as always. Yeah. Realizations, oh, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the, having to relearn who you are is one of the most painful processes and also like do we ever get there mm -hmm. do, like do we ever finish i don't think that? so i don't think so because we don't because we become new people with time we be we know we constantly change and grow into someone and with that we discover other things in our past that you know don't work with the current version anymore or like you know are in in conflict with that and so i i i made peace with the constant discovery of myself but what i love about queer communities and what queer communities taught me what uh like bipoc or third culture communities haven't taught me and what they struggle with more is you can you can create yourself a part of your identity you don't have to you know um go back to something completely. You can also go to something new that is more of what you feel inside is your truth, right? And so you have in all, all these diaspora, third culture communities, you have all these people that try to find back to their identity by going to a certain culture. They often choose one side and they're like, oh no, I'm this. And what I love about my queer identity is realizing I am this and I am this and I am that and I am the person who I want to be. Because my, my vision and my inner truth, even if they haven't manifested here yet, I know them inside, right? And so this is also me. So there are like all these versions of me, they're all me. Current me is me, my past hurt self is me. So I'm not gonna talk bad about that person because I love him and he went through a lot of pain for me to be here. And, and because of that version that I once was and because of my inner child and because of my story, I know and I, I now am able to um, help so many people, empower them and in my coachings be able to reconnect, help them reconnect with themselves. Yeah, so like what are some of the approaches you take with um, like in your coaching? Mm -hmm. I mean, part of it is classical life coaching, which is you have a goal and you create a game plan with your client and think about, okay, why aren't you getting to your goals 
probably because of some beliefs. You look at belief systems and you try to dissolve beliefs or you replace them with beliefs that serve one better. And you can do that with identity too. Uh, which part of your identity is serving you, which isn't, um, and how, you know, how can you feel like a whole person? Sometimes it's making peace with something. Sometimes it's, um, you know, reconnecting with something by reading about your history or talking to your parents or, you know. Um, so all this like classical life coaching is part of it. But also I, I include a lot of spiritual things like the law of attraction, um, you know, uh, losing inner resistance and allowing things to come to you instead of chasing them. And inner child work, like I, I do guided meditations with my with my clients and we basically visit that child and I remind them that wherever they go, they have this child with them. So you don't always have to push yourself into these uncomfortable conversations and, uh, you know, fight for the whole community. Sometimes you have to fight for that inner you, younger you first. And if they can't right now, you go back and you go into your comfort zone to recharge because this is how you serve your community, how you serve, uh, you know, yourself and, and your ancestors the best for now. And then if you have, re if you recharge, you know who you are, you have, you have clarity, then from that clarity, you can go into action. So it's all kind of intertwined, right? Like I kind of all, this is why I'm very grateful because there are so many teachings and so many learnings and courses, but also so much from my own life um, my experience that flow in together of like how I can um, combine the law of attraction and energy with pain and uh, the inner child and then community and the whole queer Arab thing. Yeah, it's like the on airplanes, they say put your oxygen mask on. Exactly. I, yes, that's the go-to metaphor. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because if you pass out, like, you know, there is no one to give oxygen masks to other people. And this is why, you know, yeah. I'm really, I'm really grateful for my journey and it was very hard, but I'm so happy now that I'm, I'm constantly trying to shine as much as I can. I try to smile, try to have like a great life to show other people, but I also try to share my struggles because we all have them, right? Um, to show people you can't get there. I was once very, 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 very depressed and I did not want to live. Um, and we, depression is, you know, spiritually something very interesting. What does it mean? Does it mean that we're, you know, that our soul is tired of the character we're trying to play? Is it the unexpressed emotion for all my, you know, all my childhood long? What is, what is that? Is it me trying to fit into a mold in society that just doesn't work with my soul, right? It's, it's very deep and, and, and I'm very grateful to have been, to have experienced and learned from that. And now I'm able to understand other people through that. And I bet with the, like being able to share um, processes of healing with other people, it's also furthering your own healing um, because we are all connected in some way. Definitely. It's, it, it humbles me also, right? It humbles me in a way. Mm -hmm. Realize, like, because there's a part of us that never wants to look back at the wound. Um, interesting, because there was another Israeli that I, we were the only tourists somewhere in the um, Pacific coast of Colombia. Yeah, and we flew there and then we both were there. And then 
It was very rural. It was with uh, a, a beautiful community that was living off the fish and the sea. And it's just, they were in nature and it was like the two of us. That's it. So we had a very interesting, sometimes very tough conversations. But there, this guy was like pure life, right? I was the person in my mind overthinking things and overthinking life and healing from my past. And he was just there having fun and enjoying himself. Cool, um, the Pura Vida attitude. Exactly. Yeah. Fully. Yeah. And everyone loved him for that. And then at some point, I, I did not realize that before, but he, he only had one leg and the other one was, uh, what do you call that? Like a... Like, like a, a prosthetic. Exactly. And then I found out that he had cancer and then they had to take off one leg and all that. And since then he is, because he went through that, he's been like, okay, you know, life is too short. I'm going to live it all. And once we were sitting at the beach, and then this is a story that I use often in my coachings as well, as a metaphor, he was, um, there was this sick, or like, not sick, he, the dog was just blind, a blind dog that came to him. And uh, I mean, he was a little dirty, but he wasn't, you know, that's it. And the dog just wanted his attention. And he would constantly like yell at that dog, go away, you're so needy. But he was super nice to all the other dogs. And I didn't understand that. And so I like was petting that dog, gave him all the love. And he looked so sad. And I asked him like, hey, you like, I don't want to give out his name. <laughs> but uh, you person, uh, why are you like that to the dog? Like all he wants is love. And he's like, yeah, he's so needy and sick. And then I asked him like, mm, looked at it for longer and realized, hey, do you think you don't like this dog because he's reminding you of yourself when you were sick? Um, and then you know, that moved him and he was like, yeah, maybe. And I just don't want to be close to anything that's, that's sick anymore. I want to live. I want to be healthy. And this good dog isn't. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and this is, I think this is a great metaphor for a lot of us. We all do that. We do that after creating the first space and not wanting to create the second space and create it from scratch. And we all do that in our communities or with people. We look, we see other people that remind us of our pain or remind us of past hurt versions of ourselves, and we just don't want to see them we react with anger and disgust because now we're healthy we don't want to go back yeah you're right i think you're right we all do have some version of that and i think this is this is also where community comes into play if we're not aware of these dynamics within us we as soon as a part of our community heals they will just cut themselves off and be like we're the healed ones now. Bye. Yeah. And this is where like my work also continuously reminds me of my pain, reminds me of my past, of past rejections, of depression, of anxiety. And, and I keep inviting these things into my space. Let me hold space for you and let me be reminded of my pain. Let me awake my old pain to hold it again, to hold it again. Yeah. How do you balance that with like, giving yourself rest, I guess. Just you know? sometimes that's the thing. I do give myself permission to go into my comfort zone. I just, I allow myself to be ignorant because I know, I know well enough that on the times when I'm not ignorant, I'm, I'm way too much in the pain. <laughs> and so when I'm not, I'm like, life is good. And I, I get this often that people say I, I shouldn't call myself an activist because I'm not angry enough. And this is like, mm, this is not how I handle it. I don't owe you my, you know, display of pain. Um, 
I go into yeah. full joy, I recharge. I go into full ignorance with what's going on to life. I don't have to post every day um, who's dying and who's and all that. Like people continuously criticize that in, in, in a way. And then when I come back, when I have my capacity, when I can step into action, then I'm there. And then I step into action. Yeah, I don't, I, yeah, that frustrates me when people try to police each other's display of emotion or, yeah. Um. I mean, anger is useful, but it's also like, sometimes it gets super toxic when that's the only emotion you're really allowed to use. You know? Yeah. It's especially bad for guys because guys, like, if you're stuck in sort of some of that toxic masculinity, you're only allowed anger. Like, mm-hmm. that's the only acceptable emotion. So, yeah. Which sucks. Yeah, that's very toxic. Yeah, this is where I think also the, the where the queer Arabs can, are finally making room for Arab men to feel. They, I mean, as much, and this is the thing, they're being fought by these men, but they're actually fighting for these men. Right? We're creating space for you, breaking in this, in this very uh, patriarchal, macho society with what a man can feel like and what, like, what he, how much feeling and femininity he can display, which is ultimately freeing you and, and, and freeing you from this you know, state of constant um, you know, being suffocating in your pain and not being able to tell anyone because you have to be strong right. enough. Yeah, it's not sustainable. I have enough. Pe- I have enough men in in my circles and also in my men, in my family, where I see that like they're great, very very loving people, but they are drowning in their pain. But they just can't talk about it. They have to be strong. Yeah, yeah, I see that a lot too. Um, with, I remember once I was on the phone with my father and he. I don't remember what it was. I was crying about something pretty like justified to be crying about. Uh And he, he, he said, crying is a weakness. Stop that. And I was like 16 or something. And I just found that to be so sad because I thought, does he ever let himself cry? Um, you know, and it just made me sad for him, not for me when he said that. Yeah. It's just their heart feels like, yeah, their like heart field just closes. Enough has happened to him that he learned that. I'm also sad for that. You know, if you look at the meditations that I have sometimes with clients, when you have a man like that, they often, I mean, you know, the images they receive or that they see is often the inner child isn't around. It's, pro- it's often behind the closed door that's locked. Sometimes the door is slightly open, but like, that's so interesting to see. It's often this child that has been abandoned and has been told at some point, I can't be in contact with you anymore. You have to go behind this door and you have to, you have to stay there. And so they literally close a part of themselves, lock it away and be like, okay, that's it for now, forever. Right. And then when you make them reconnect, and this is where I like, it's so hard and and the world and politics and so on. If you look at these individual numb men this is where the pain you know patriarchy is this is where a lot of this pain in the world comes from they have no connection to their emotions or to their inner child or like very little connection and so when you make them reconnect you bring up so much pain 
And this is where I'm like, sometimes when I see older men and I get angry about certain perspectives they have, I'm afraid of breaking them. I'm afraid of, I know I'm strong enough to show them certain perspectives, but I see this inner child that I would just pull out of this back room where it's locked in and I would pull that out and I would probably bring 40, 50 years of unresolved trauma and emotions that they never were able to feel out. I'm really scared of that, right? And so this is where like, when you want to, you know, they're so, they just stick to their opinion, even even if it's uh, clear now that whatever they are saying or thinking just can't be true anymore, right? They just stick to it, even because if they wouldn't, if they change their mind, if they realize for the fast past 40 years, I've been living with a belief that's not true, or like according to something that is not true, then all this pain comes up that they don't know how to handle. They never learned how to handle. That's another thing. Managing and processing emotion. Yeah. It's like the inner child, their inner child was banging on the door. Yeah. Finally gave up, sat down. So it's all, that's a lot to, to. Yeah. I always describe it as like when you come in from a, co- I don't know how cold it gets where you are, but like frozen hands, you come in and you put them under running water and it starts hurting first before it gets normal. This is this pain of reconnection. We have that with our identities too, right? When we open the door to like an identity that we don't really want to look at, like a part of us, it hurts so much at first, but then, you know, it starts getting better and feeling better until you feel whole. It's like, oh, that's comforting, yeah. Yeah, but you mean, imagine like having their hands frozen or their hearts frozen, the door locked to yeah. their inner child yeah. for so long. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a good, yeah, really, that's helpful imagery. Um, because it is really easy to get angry at men of a particular generation. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely. And again, this doesn't that. justify, right? All of these things no, don't no, justify. No, it doesn't justify behaviors, but um, it does help to sometimes stay mean. I mean, I could just go on like an hour long rant about my dad. <laughs> but oh, I'm gonna step yeah, back. You would need three episodes for him. <laughs> um, but anyway, thank you so much for being here. Uh, how can people connect with you, find you? What's the best way? So either Instagram, The Healing Khan with K-H-A-N, so Khan, uh, or thehealingkhan.com have a website okay. where they where people can also check out what I do for coaching etc so both are, both work um and I also thank you it was uh I feel like I've yeah. I've had a, a few monologues I hope that's okay sometimes no this, that's what this is for uh, yeah this this is amazing um and it it really um it felt really cathartic to have this conversation thank so. you so much I come I, I'm fueled with so much energy from the past two weeks in this event and this camp so uh, yeah. <laughs> i could i could talk for we're, we're benefiting from that I, like i i can feel it i feel it it's it's beautiful um thank you i needed this <laughs> <laughs> thank you um, guys thank, thank you so much yeah. i love and blessings thank you so much um you all can follow us on insta facebook and twitter at the queer arabs and email us at the queer arabs at gmail.com